Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a living jazz legend and the last jazz messenger, Mr. Steve Davis. Hello, everybody. This is Leander from Improv's Exchange. And today we have the honor of having the legendary Steve Davis with us. Sir, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me, Leander. It's a pleasure to be with you. For the people who might not know who you are, just give a short summary of who you are. Uh, Well, my name is Steve Davis, and I'm a uh, trombonist and composer, arranger. educator for a long time and uh and uh i love what i do um and it's been a a real privilege and blessing to be a so-called jazz musician for 35 plus years of my life and um, i'm very grateful for all of it that was probably the most modest introduction ever just so you know, people, this is a Grammy Award winner who probably played with everybody and is one of the last jazz messengers, right? Yeah, actually, I was technically the the very last jazz messenger. Um, uh, as it turned out, um, I joined the band in December of 1989 at the tender age of 22. and um, And this was upon... My mentor, uh, Jackie McLean's recommendation to Art Blakey, um, should he ever need a trombonist. And um, Frank Lacey was leaving the group. And uh, I had been in New York a short time, maybe not even six months at that point. And, um, and I had been hanging around Sweet Basil down in Greenwich Village, um, one of the great jazz clubs back in the uh, 1980s and into the 90s. And it became known as Sweet Rhythm later on, but it was Sweet Basil in the heyday back then. And Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers used to play there often. And uh, yeah, so Art wound up calling me to join the band. And um, I had eight, nine precious months uh, as a Jazz Messenger and learning from the great Art Blakey. And, um, and my first record dates were his last and uh, one of them, uh, the last one for AM was called One for All. And that was recorded in April of 90. And that actually was my, uh, my song that they used as the title. And then, uh, much to my surprise, I, when it came out. Um, and then, you know, um, uh, later, some maybe four or five years later, um, I started playing with... Um, a great group of musicians, Eric Alexander, Jim Rotundi, David Hazeltine, Peter Washington, and, and Joe Farnsworth. Um, and uh, we we wound up calling the band One For All. It, it wasn't my idea, but uh, I think Farnsworth suggested it, and it kind of stuck as a sort of collective title for that group. And so that's where that band got its name from in the mid-'90s. And, and we still play together all these years later. Yeah, like I said, man. So you're 22 years old. You get the phone call to join the Jazz Messengers. Just how did you take that? Was, did you believe it? Were you in shock? Were you? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I was, I was thrilled and and terrified and elated all at the same time. And uh, um, yeah, so it it, it was. Um, just an awesome experience to, to be on that bandstand and, um, and learn from all the great musicians in the band. Um, but also, um, learn from Art Blakey and, and, you know, I, I stood right next to him and his drum set many times. Uh, and again, you know, I was the last one. So I'm, I had my, uh, my brief period in the band, but my first trip, off the East coast was as a jazz messenger. We went out to Los Angeles and San Francisco and Seattle and, 
and around the country a little bit. And then we went to Europe. That was my first trip to Europe. We went to Japan in August of 90. And that, that was my first time there. And that wound up being Art's last, uh, his last gigs over in Japan. Um, and that's when he became ill. And then uh, he passed away a few months later. But um, yeah, it was, it was amazing. And, and the group featured great musicians, as I said, uh, Brian Lynch on trumpet and Javon Jackson and Dale Barlow on tenor saxophones. And, um, and Frank Lacey was in the band when I first joined. So there were, there were the two of us and Donald Harrison even played that first week as well on alto and then Jeff Keezer on piano and Essiet on bass. So, and Art Blakey. So I was really uh, soaking up a lot of music at that time for sure. Uh, there's an album coming out in September, I believe. Are you on that one? Or is that just some of the other mes- messengers putting something together? Um, are you referring to Ralph Peterson's record? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. I played on uh, a few tracks, several tracks on that one. And it was a real honor to be asked by Ralph Peterson, who was very close with Art Blakey. And, um, and you know, you you immediately, if you know Ralph's playing, at all you you uh, feel and sense that immediately when he sits down at the drums and um and the way he conceives of the music the way he writes and arranges and composes and <clears throat> excuse me and just the way he he goes about it um you know ralph was is a great drummer and so as a drummer he couldn't be a jazz messenger but he is a jazz messenger and um yeah, so uh, it was it was a thrill to be on that project, and and actually we were in the studio in Brooklyn in early March, and literally the first days I even heard about this thing called uh, the coronavirus um, was kind of right around when we were rehearsing and 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 recording for that date, and we we all didn't really know what to make of it, and. Um, Thank God we got in there and did it when we did, um, because right after that, within a week or so, there was there was not going to be any of that kind of activity going on for for quite a while. Uh, so since you brought up Corona, let's just go into that right now. How has that affected you personally? Besides that, <laughs> just recording. Yeah, um, it's been hard. It's been hard on everybody, um, but. Um, you know, it's also been a great time of reflection and a great time to uh, to absorb the last, for me, I'm, I'm 53 years old. So, you know, let's just say the last 35 years since, since I was 18 and came to Hartford, Connecticut as a young kid from Binghamton, New York, who had already been playing. I was into jazz and, and you know, up in Binghamton and grew up with some really great musicians there. And, and my father had an incredible, great uh, jazz record collection. And my grandparents enjoyed jazz music too. So, and, and played a little. Um, and, uh, but, you know, when I came to Hartford and met Jackie McLean, everything changed for me. And, um, and it's just kind of been nonstop ever since uh, for 35 years, I've been, I've been uh, doing it and, kind of going hard and so it in 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 a strange way it's been it's been kind of a blessing um to be healthy of course and uh and 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 try to remain so and uh and just have this time to absorb it all and appreciate um every place i've been in my life and all the great musicians i've been able to be around and, and just great people that you meet, they, they might not play, but I always call them jazz people um, who are, you know, so integral to the community and, and just a part of the music. Um, you just meet wonderful folks all over the world and, and all the students um, that I've had the pleasure of, of working with and, and have learned from as well and, and shared the music with and, um, including my own son, Tony Davis. We were talking about him uh, yeah, before, before we... Show. Tony's album, I still love up to this date, man. That's It's just unfortunate, uh, like we were saying, that Corona hit 
just when he should have been out there promoting his album. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Leander. And, you know, um, but I'm very proud of him and he's, he's just 26 now. He was 25 when he made the record and uh, it's called golden year. And of course, when it was recorded and when the production and the, and the title was agreed on, I, I had nothing to do with that. That was him and, and Positone records, but you know, it was before the, uh, the, uh, pandemic situation and i might add before uh the whole you know george floyd and brianna taylor and just everything really blowing up um the way it did at the end of may and 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 um the black lives matter movement which you know all, all of it has been difficult um people have died um, it's, it, you know, needless to say, it's been a very heavy, difficult year. But um, with that said, I kind of reassured Tony that I that I felt strongly that because he was kind of down, you know, for a minute about I can't believe my record's called Golden Year and all this terrible stuff is happening. And I, I, I tried to reassure him that um, I think history and I think he agrees and I think most most people would agree that history ultimately will be kind to 2020 and that in some deep profound kind of way and some hard one difficult way, this will be looked upon as a golden year of, of real change of, um, uh, and, and of perseverance. Um, and, uh, let's just hope that November 3rd, uh, goes the way, uh, it needs to. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to talk politics, but no. I get what you're saying. Let's we'll see so, how that happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So Tony D, uh, um, I love playing with him. He's a great guitar player and composer, arranger. Um, he's a graduate of the Hart School, the Jackie mm -hmm. McLean Institute of Jazz, where I've taught. This is my 30th year. Um, I started when I was 12. No, I, I, I'm <laughs> kidding. But um, but I did. I got an early start. J Jackie McLean hired me there as an adjunct back in 1991. And um, I was very young. And uh, and I've been there alongside uh, Nat Reeves, the great bassist, all those years. He was one of my professors and mentors and, uh, and musical collaborators to this day. Uh, we talk oh, every day. And two things on that. Let's do before you go back into Hartford, because there's something on that. Recording yeah. with your son. Was yeah. that awkward? No, not at all. Um, you know, I, I can understand the question why you'd ask, but he and I, it's been very easy for us to play together. Going back to the early Hartford days for him, um, where he grew up and his younger sister and brother, Angie and Nikki, are are still growing up with their mom up, up in West Hartford, Mary. And and my daughter Angie actually goes to the Hart School as a music ed uh, major and voice major now. And then little brother Nikki is uh, starting high school like tomorrow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and that's where his sister and, and brother went um, in West Hartford, Conard High School. Desiron Douglas, the bassist, went there actually years ago and and also Hart. So there's a real legacy and, and beautiful music community up there. And um, Nikki plays the tenor sax and, uh, so they're all musical and their mother marries music, uh, Ed, uh, and music teacher and plays a great pianist. And, um, and then there's dad, you know, and, and, uh, I live in Stamford, Connecticut now for, for several years. And, um, but of course I'm close with my kids always. And, and, uh, my wife, Abana Coomson Davis is a great, um, vocalist and, educator and social activist and so the kids have learned a lot from her too and it, it's a real music family and so to to play with Tony to get back to your question is is just easy um you know he and I he was the first out of the shoot of my three kids and we never pushed music on any of them at all they were just around it and you know the great the late great Larry Willis who was Uncle Larry to them uh, Nat Reeves is Uncle Nat. Uh, um, I could go on and on. All, all the musicians that they just knew, like family members, and who would be by the house and 
and they'd be at the gigs hanging out running around the park or wherever we were playing you know in the club uh, the restaurant what, what I mean, if Larry Willis is coming in and out of your house, that's probably going to help motivate you to go into that world. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're just soaking it up, you know. Um, all the great Hartford musicians, uh, all the great students at the Hart School over the years who would come over, we'd hang and rehearse and just hang out, whatever. Or, or they, or the kids will come to the gigs and... And just, you know, it was just like matter of fact. So Tony, when he finally picked up the guitar, um, it was a little late. He was in high school. He was a ninth grader. And he hadn't really been serious at all about music. But we always knew he was musical. And then he got that git box in his hands and it was like he was meant for it. And um, the only advice I ever had when he started to show a real interest in jazz music was that just enjoy the chords and the rhythms. Just just be a good comper. And all the licks and slick stuff you dream of playing will come right out of the, that harmony and those nice, rich voicings. Like, learn about chords and just be good at laying it down because then everybody's going to want to play with you. And and that was, and then we would just, just play and just try stuff and no pressure. And the next thing I knew, he was on the bandstand with me at gigs in Hartford and started doing his own gigs. And he started out very interested in Jimi Hendrix. And then, of course, which we all love Jimi Hendrix. And and I suggested, well, you know, he's he was really a, a great blues player. And Buddy Guy was one of his inspirations. And I Buddy Guy happened to be playing in New London, Connecticut at the Guard Arts Center. And so I took my son to see Buddy Guy. And then I took him to New York a few months later to see B.B. King before he passed away. And Buddy Guy was opening at the United Palace Theater up in Washington Heights and in Manhattan. And and my son just, I could see, like, he that first night he saw Buddy Guy in New London, man, and he's on the on the railing in the balcony, just peering down in the dark. I just looked over at him and said, bye. Like, <laughs> like uh-huh. have fun kid. Like I, I knew right then he's going to be a musician. I could just see it. He was just riveted. And so what a great start. And, um, you know, then I would leave, we had, we had the turntable still set up back in those days. And uh, I well still do now. And, you know, I'd leave out, West Montgomery and Kenny Burrell and records and Joe Pass and, um, you know, George Benson, mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that. And, and eventually he started dipping into those and then he, he would call me and, Hey dad, uh, you know, I think West Montgomery's the greatest ever. And then the next week, Hey dad, I don't know, man, George Benson, early George Benson, he might be. And then dad, Pat Martino, Joe Pass. You know, I said, Oh boy, here you go. Grant Green. He loves him. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been fun to play with him. It was easy. It was very easy. And, and then the, the, the musicians he chose for that project for the golden year date, um, David Bryant, on piano and Desiron Douglas, who I mentioned earlier on, on the bass, and then the great Eric McPherson, Emac on drums. And then he had Steve Wilson play on a couple tracks and myself. And uh, at least those were the musicians present when I was at the session I was at. And so it was family and it was all of my colleagues and he, he chose wisely, <laughs> you know, and uh, they all embrace him like family and I, I can't thank each one of those musicians and Nat Reeves and so many others, Steve Wilson, who've just mentored my son, Steve Wilson mentored him at city college at the program. Tony just got his master's from there last year. Um, so he's, he's had incredible guidance. Um, hasn't just been me and I'm just happy to any time to play with him. He's, he's a great musician and, and he's a really good guy. So. Well, back to Hartford now. One other thing. So at this time, is Corona going to stop them from opening? Yeah, University of Hartford. Um, I've been thoroughly ensconced with with all of that, as people are all, all around the country, um, whether it's public schools, grade schools, colleges, universities, you name it. 
Um, you know, fortunately, Connecticut has done quite well uh, in dealing with the uh, coronavirus situation. Uh, the numbers are pretty good. There have been a couple recent spikes, actually, in certain parts of the state. But overall, it, it, it's actually feasible to try to come back to school, at least in a hybrid fashion. Um, I know at the Hart School, which is part of the University of Hartford, and within the Jackie McLean Institute, we're trying to do um, uh, as many academic courses as possible online or remotely. At the same time, the the performing ensemble groups, it's, it's very difficult to do that remotely. Um, and so... Um, although there are possibilities there as well, because um, you know this is what's happening now in 2020. Uh, people are are um, getting hip to uh, you know online uh, formats where there's no latency or very little, and you can actually play together. Um, but you know we're all still kind of learning about that technology, so we're kind of trying, hopefully, to blend in person. Um, you know, teachers who are available to do that in person and then people who can uh, perhaps uh, teach some remotely as well. And that'll keep keep it realistic. So, you know, you don't have the campus just or the music building full capacity because that's just not possible right now. Um, and, you know, I, I know that the school is working very hard to employ uh, physical um, you know, those, those plexiglass barriers and the, um, the, the things you put over the, I forget what they're called, but like, uh, you put over the bell of the instruments and stuff. And that if there are vocalists singing that they're very isolated and it's, it, it's a challenge. There's no doubt about it. And we'll see how we do. And we hope to get up to Thanksgiving break and then finish the semester all online, completely remotely and then see where we're at going into 2021. Um, yeah, you know, it's been a lot of meetings, a lot of Zoom meetings <laughs> recently. To try that's going to gonna hurt the progression or the little progression Jazz still has left. Don't you think that's going to hurt it? Well, if if we let it, I mean, if if we don't if we don't adapt, then yeah. Sure it will. Um, and then you're then you've got the venues in New York, places like Smalls, God bless Smalls and Spike Wilner and a lot of those places I don't think are gonna open up. Smoke has a name. Smoke will be around. Yeah, Birdland, Blue Note. Small, Smalls maybe is still even think online, you know, they, they have their um no audience, but you know, the streaming broadcast, they've been doing it since June. Smoke has been doing it recently. I mean you know, there's going to be somewhat of a new normal for the time being. And, um, yeah, sure. It's sure. It's hurting all of us. I mean, it's hurting almost everybody in society, um, economically and God forbid, if you actually contract this thing, mm. you know, I don't, man, we all know how, how horrible it is. So, um, uh, but that said, we're not going to be here forever, Leander, you know, we're, we're going to get through this. Um, they're going to come up with a vaccine eventually that works or more or less, and we'll live with it the way we live with a lot of other things that we've dealt with over the years and uh, as, as a society. And, um, but at the same time, we have to be able, we have to be flexible. We have to be adaptable and imaginative in how we go forward musically and and i'm certainly not the most technically savvy computer guy my wife abana's a lot better than me she, she's she's pretty good but i'm also you know digging a lot of my colleagues and former students and and even current students who are quite adept and people are doing some good work remotely and if that's what it takes for the time being that's what we have to do and and limited in-person playing, as long as you're safe and you do it right. Um, I have, I did two gigs this summer, just two. I've done two gigs since March 12th and March, yeah. And 
that was at Mesro in New York with my son, Tony, and the bassist, great bassist, John Weber. And that was it. And then at the end of July and last week in August, uh, I played two outdoor concerts with a great Latin jazz group led by percussionist Ed Fast. It's called Conga Bop, and it's really hip band. And we played outdoors, these nice outdoor situations, and the spacing was beautiful. The weather was beautiful. That works for the summer, though. That's the thing I'm worried about. Right. And so, yeah, exactly. So... I, I actually I'm grateful that I got to play twice <laughs> for an audience oh. and play outside and with a great band that I love to play with and trumpeter Josh Bruno's in that band and the bassist Matt Dwanzik, a great young Hello. Go ahead, sir. Oh, now it works. Great. <laughs> okay. Continue. We're back. Yes, we're uh, back. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know we're dealing with these extraordinary uh, times and circumstances, but but we're we're persevering. We made it. Uh, but yeah, you know, like we were talking about, playing outdoors is is a is a real viable option, especially in the in the summer months or the pleasant weather. But um, yeah, like during when it gets cold again, and later in the fall and the winter and early spring, can't really do that. Um, so this coming season, it might be a lot more, you know, online, uh, type of, uh, remote style, virtual, uh, performing going on. And then, um, I'm optimistic though, that into by, you know, next spring, summer, I think we're going to really have turned a corner with, with all of this and, Hopefully, 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 yeah, hopefully, hopefully we can really try to get back to how we, we always used to do it. And, but, but in some ways, some things are just going to be different going forward. We, we have to be open to that too. Mm-hmm. So you brought up smokes. So let's go into your last album with smokes. Okay. Correlations. Oh man. Do, doing a real jazz ambassador stuff there, man. You have a completely yeah. younger group than you, which I loved. It was yeah. Josh, Wayne, Xavier, Jonathan, and uh, and Desmond. Yes, Desmond. Yes. Yeah, Xavier's a little closer to my age, but although he's quite youthful, uh, but uh, he's <laughs> he's maybe I don't know. I've got maybe five or seven years on him, or something like that. But um, maybe maybe he's a little younger. But um, we're we're closer, and we've been colleagues a long time. And then all the other musicians are are actually former students from from Hart um, at different times. Uh, Wayne Escoffrey going back the furthest, and you know he's how old is Wayne now? I guess he's in his early forties or mid forties. Um, so these are great veteran, great players and band leaders all in their own right. Um, and then Desron Douglas and. Of course, he he leads many projects and 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 works. He's ubiquitous. You know, he's playing with everybody, as as does Wayne. And and uh, Wayne and Xavier are a part of the the Black Art Collective, uh, of which I'm a real fan. And that's a great sextet. Features James Burton, who's a great trombonist, and uh, actually another former student um, from years ago. And then uh, Jonathan Barber and Josh Bruno were students maybe 10, 12 years ago, and they've both really been making a great name for themselves. And, um, you know, uh, Jonathan Barber has his vision ahead group, um, which is wonderful. And again, it's all Hart alum, uh, Jackie McLean Institute alums and, and a lot of Connecticut cats from over the past 10, 12 years. And, and, and now they've been in New York several years. And then Josh Bruno, um, he's played, he and I've played together a great deal over the past decade. And he's on a few of my records. I'm on a few of his records. I know he has an, uh, a project coming out um, on the seller live label from Vancouver, uh, Corey weeds label. So, and, and I played on that. Um it, I must I say, though, because it's like four schools that at least the jazz people I hang with come yeah. from. It comes to, it tends to be Hart, Berkeley, Manhattan, and Juilliard. 
Yeah, they're all great. <laughs> they're all great programs. The William Patterson's great. Uh, you know, um, SUNY Purchase. Um, you got the New School, and and now a great program there, uh, uh, down in Peabody in Baltimore, and um, and that's just East Coast. I, I mean, there are many that's other. Warren is Warren Wolf. He's nasty. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, indeed. And um, Queens College for graduate students and uh, New England Conservatory. And of course, Berkeley, you mentioned. It's great always. And oh, man, Eastman. I mean, there's, yeah, there, there are a lot of them. And and um, and then Western Connecticut State in Danbury, Judge Jimmy Green has been teaching there for years, too. And then out west, San Francisco Conservatory um, has their new RJAM program. I've done some teaching there. It's wonderful. Uh, yeah, there's there are a whole lot of places producing great young musicians. It's very exciting. That's good. At least we know the jazz scene will be around in a few years. Now, hopefully, it picks up more, at least sales-wise. Now, you tell me if this joke is true. There are more, there are more students in college universities than jazz albums being sold per year. Oh, my God. Well, I have no idea. <laughs> But that's a funny joke. <laughs> Some truth in it, isn't it? <laughs> Makes well, you wonder. Yeah, you you could wonder. I, yeah, that's a whole conversation. Um, I hope that's not the case. I doubt it. But, um, you know, um, if we don't continue this music, and the young players who come up who who can play and they love it and. They're doing their own fresh thing with it in 2020 and and will be beyond. But they're also gaining a knowledge of the tradition and the history of this music, this incredibly rich, important cultural history that we call jazz. You know, I mean, if 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 we don't curate and take care of this music and um, move forward with it. I, then, then who's gonna like? What? What? What's the option? You're just gonna let it die? No, I, mean, I don't think it's gonna. I don't want it to die, but no. When's yeah. the last time I heard a jazz song on the top ten Billboard? Yeah, that. Yep. You know, I I think about it too, Leander, all the time. And 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 there's no reason. Um, there's so much good catch and like catchy music. It that you know, that's something. Um. How do I say this? You know, th that I've always admired about, say, Horace Silver um, is a great example. Mm -hmm. um, certain highly regarded, you know, just all-time great jazz musicians, composers, instrumentalists, band leaders, all of that. Well, Horace Silver is all of that. And his music was challenging. He had incredibly great bands for decades um, I actually got to work with him um, and and got to know him uh, pretty well in, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And I'm so grateful for that. And, you know, his music at the same time was so catchy and accessible. And, you know, I've never tried to flat out imitate Horace Silver. It's just always been an impulse for me or an instinct um, or, an, or an intuition three I words that, um, you know, to, to, no matter, no matter what I write or come up with that, that somehow it's, it's hopefully going to grab people's ears who don't play jazz or who, who don't necessarily want to, you know, I have, their, that, have their IQ tested and, you know, no, no, <laughs> we're not going to hit on those people. Let's go on to people who actually listen to jazz and go to the jazz clubs. You know how many yeah. people I know that are older than me in age that refuse to listen to anything that is modern and they rather listen to Kind of Blue for the 10,000th time. Mm. That, that that that's a bit of a problem. That that's a bit of a problem. I uh, I mean Kind of Blue go ahead. It's not a problem to listen to Kind of Blue as much as you want. Like go ahead. I I love it. We all love it. That that's great. But um it is important to remain open. And I think, 
you know, to what's happening now, obviously. And, um, but there's not just one, there's never been just one way to, to go about it or to play or present the music. It, it's just kind of your taste, you know, and, and whatever you're interested in, whatever floats your boat. And, and you might pick up some new, fresh ways of listening and fresh ways of playing. And, and, you know, for the musicians, for the listener, it's all wide open. And, um, but, but I, I do think it's important for me anyway, and, and I'm just speaking for myself and, and anything that I'm going to be involved with, particularly as a band leader, um, that, you know, I, I try to strike a balance between, having the music be rewarding, challenging um, for the musicians, for us, at, you know, so we can develop it and grow and, and push ourselves. Cause I think the listeners who really love this music, we call jazz. They, they know when you're going for it and, and when something's happening like that, they, they crave that. that that's where the magic is. Like they, they want that at the same time. I like having stuff in the book that people can walk away from the set, walk away from listening to the CD, whatever, or the, or the live uh, broadcast, uh, streaming broadcast, whatever it is. And they can remember it. They can, they can whistle a melody. They, they can hang their hat on it. They can take it with them in, in their body, in their ears. And sometimes I think we, as improvising musicians, try to outdo ourselves and outdo the the past and innovate, 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 you know, and there's so much emphasis on innovating with, with the critics and the, and the, the, the hype, so-called hype or whatever, that we can kind of miss the point of just connecting with, with the listening community and trying to produce some music that people just want to feel good listening to and, to me, it's a balance of all of that. I would agree. It's just that I know some amazing, amazing talent, and nobody gives them any attention. And that's one thing that I fear would be yeah. the downfall of jazz. This corona situation isn't going to help, but that's yeah. what I truly believe would be the downfall. Yeah, well, hopefully not, my hopefully friend. Not. No. <laughs> Hopefully we just keep loving the music and nurturing the music, the music and the musicians and those who love to listen. It's all part of the big, rich community and it's very symbiotic. You know, it's, it's all, we're all feeding on each other's energy and support and love. And, um, that that's what we need, <laughs> you know, to, to, to keep cooking through this. And, and as, uh, my dear friend and mentor Larry Willis would say, "Take it up an octave." <laughs> so, just because you have a list so long, I'm just gonna name some names. You tell me a situation of them, like a story, okay, a short okay. one, sure. or an experience. Sure. So, I say Hank Jones. What do you say? Oh, oh, um, wow, he's so pristine and elegant, and uh, I got to do a couple sessions with him. One of them still hasn't come out, and uh, we're working on it. Um, okay. We did a date. It was Hank and Peter Washington and, and me. That's it. Just like like the old Bradley's days with, with no drums, just piano, bass, and, and a horn. And that was the second thing we did together in 2008. But in 07, we did a record called Eloquence, and um, it was just such a blast. And, and I did a couple uh, concerts with Hank as well, and... Um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. It was, it's just such a joy to be around him and, um, his touch, oh, just amazing. And, um, I just felt like that when I played with him, that everything made sense. Like, and I, I didn't have to try so hard. I could just, just play and he's right there with you. And, and it's hard. It's wow. Okay. One of the greatest pianists ever. Freddie Hubbard. Yeah, that's another wow. <laughs> they're, they're all going to be wows. But, well, Freddie Hubbard, 
um, I had the privilege to really get to know him and, and become friends, you know, uh, between like 2001 and 2008 until he passed away. And with the new jazz composers octet, um, which was a, a, a great, uh, great ensemble. And we used to play on our own, but then uh, the leader of that group, David Weiss, trumpeter and, and arranger, he, um, you know, approached Freddie and arranged Freddie's small group music for for five horns and, and rhythm section, kind of fleshed out some of Freddie's classic things and some of his lesser known things. And it, Freddie loved it. He loved hearing his music presented like that. And then Freddie could, you know, just play as much as he wanted to play from night to night. And so we did a lot of work together. We used to play the uh, the Iridium often in New York, and then we did some tours of Europe and Japan, and and um, yeah, it, it was it was an amazing time. And and you know, Freddie um, can be known for all his bravado and and all that, but he's actually, he was a very, very lovely, uh, kind person, mostly to me. I mean, that, that he and I had a wonderful relationship and I, I miss him all the time. Horace Silver. Man. So Horace Silver, uh, he came to hear Chick Corea's band origin in the late nineties out he lived in LA, Horace did. So we were playing at Catalina's Bar and Grill in Hollywood. And uh, he really liked the band. And uh, he came up to me and took my phone number and just said he you know, liked my sound on the trombone. He hadn't heard too many trombones play like that. Very nice. And, and then um, saxophonist Jimmy Green, who I mentioned earlier, he's another Hart alum from the 90s. He and Wayne Escoffrey came through at the same time. And so Jimmy right out of college got the gig with Horace Silver and had played on in, in, in Horace's band like the year prior. So Jimmy and I were back in LA with the bassist Avishai Cohen, who also played with Chick Corea's origin as did I. And so we're playing at the baked potato and Horace came out for that one too. And to say hi to Jimmy and he remembered me and, he met Avishai and he really liked that music uh, that Avishai was working on and um, kind of different, you know, and, and, he, and he dug it. And that's when I really struck up a relationship with Horace. And we would call and talk to each other on the phone. And I'd always ask him questions about his early days in Connecticut because he's from Norwalk. And I live in Stanford now. It's Norwalk's right up the road. But he also spent formative years in Hartford before he moved to New York City. And he used to tell this great story about meeting Stan Getz. And, um, you know, that I, and, and I had heard these stories from some of the older Hartford jazz folks years ago when I was living in Hartford all those years in the, in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. And so to, to hear it from Horace directly was really cool. And he played a club there called the Sundown Club in the north end of Hartford. And, and he was only 19, 20 years old, but he had a trio. And Stan Getz asked, where's the, where's there a jam session? Because he was at the State Theater with Woody Herman's Thundering Herd in the late 40s. This was um, or maybe 1950, 49, somewhere around there. So he goes to this club and they said, yeah, there's this kid, Horace Silver playing. He's really great. So they they met and Stan kept going every night because they weren't the Woody Herman's band was in town for six nights. And then I, <clears throat> excuse me, hired Horace Silver and a drummer named Walter Bolden, who's Desron Douglas's uncle, by the way. Um some, okay. some Hartford stuff. <clears throat> excuse me. And and the bassist named Joe Benjamin, and uh, who I never knew, but I knew Walter Bolden and Horace Silver. And that's how Horace came to New York is Stan Getz got him a gig and hired him. And, and a lot of people, you know, years later wouldn't necessarily associate Horace Silver with Stan Getz, but they did record together and made some incredible records with Jimmy Rainey on guitar as well. And um, 
Yeah, so that you know, that's some cool Hartford history that that happened in in Hartford, and I love to share that with the young students. Um, you know, that is part of the lore up there. It's pretty cool. And so, you know, Horace used to tell I me, "Gotta give Connecticut more respect now." Okay, <laughs> yeah, Chick, Kuya, go. Oh, Armando, the <laughs> Uh What can I say, Chick? I met him through bassist Avishai Cohen back in 97 and I was playing in Avishai's band and we were doing a recording and Chick produced it. So I thought at that time, oh, this is cool. I'll meet Chick Corea in the studio in a working environment. And that's it. Like, wow, cool. I never dreamed that I, that he'd hire me or want, you know, that I'd play with him. And um, cause he was, you know, not too long before that was doing the electric band and which is amazing. I just never envisioned myself being a part of that, something like that necessarily, excuse me. But as I always share with the students, be ready for anything because uh, you never know who you're going to wind up playing with. And, and for me to meet chick and, and then he called me, and, and said, I'm going to form this band origin. I I've never heard anybody play the trombone the way you do. And I want to write for you. And I, it just was, you gotta be kidding me. Like, wow, what a thrill. And so that started a relationship that we've had for 20, 23 years now. And, um, I've done many projects with him over the years and most recently the, the Spanish heart band and which is an incredible band. And we toured Europe last summer and it was just amazing. And uh, actually the band, we did a record called uh, Antidote, which what a prescient title. (laughs) It is. It's almost almost creepy. Like, man, how could Chick know? (laughs) We sure as hell would need an antidote a year later, but um, not even a year later, but, but, but the, that record actually won the best Latin jazz album of 2019. And we won a Grammy in uh, January of 2020. And uh, it, it took a while once the pandemic hit, but this little statuette showed up and it's sitting on my bookcase here in the house and I owe it to chick. So he, he's incredibly generous and giving and, uh, He's such a motivation in so many ways. I can't even tell you. So I mean, I'm so grateful to know him. Wow. And then the last one, <laughs> Christian McBride. Ah, brother Mac B. Wow. He, he's another force, just absolute uh, positive, um, sharing, uh, gracious and motivating musician and person and very inclusive with his activities musically as well. And, um, and just, you know, one of the most talented musicians I've ever encountered in in my life. Um, And uh, not only is he just such an incredible bassist, uh, both acoustic and electric. um, And he plays that acoustic bass, like it's a toy almost, you know, (laughs) and just with such ease, but, um, and, and he's a great arranger and composer and writer and orchestrator as well. And he's, he's just, he's just walking, talking music, man. That's, you know, and, uh, and quite an historian, um, which is something I share with him. I think that we have in common some of the many things and also a huge sports fan. He, he loves his, he loves his Philly team. about to go there. Yeah. That's what, yeah, man. And so he knows when Stevie D's coming on the gig. He, you know, him and me. He's he knows I'm coming with my Celtics and Red Sox and and all that. So, <laughs> oh man, <laughs> we always bust each other's chops on that and and share fun stuff just about particularly baseball and basketball. Um, and and he loves his Eagles. I I know that and. God bless him. And, uh, but anyway, um, it's been such a joy to, to work with him over the years and particularly the past decade with his big band projects. And, uh, they've, it's just been amazing, an amazing experience. And, 
um, to play any music that he conceives of, arranges, writes, anything he does is gold. And But certainly uh, it was a thrill to have one of my own compositions, Optimism, um, and my you know, um, only recorded big band arrangement at, at this point. And, it, and we did it in, in, on one of his records. Um, uh, not the good feeling, uh, uh, the brilliant album, right? Bringing it. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Bringing it. And we did that in 2015 and, and it came out maybe a year or two later. And I think that won a Grammy also. Oh, you um, just have too many Grammys. You don't keep track of them, man. Oh my goodness. I'm just a, I've just been lucky to be <laughs> a part of groups over the years and to be asked to to contribute to these amazing groups of musicians and uh, and with with amazing band leaders and and so you know my goal is always to do the same like with the correlations band uh, or with any band I assemble um, is it's got to feel like our band. It's our band. And sure, it might be my music primarily that I wrote or whatever, but you, you always want it to feel like everybody's really invested in the music as a, as a collaborative. And then it gets really powerful. It goes to another level when that happens. I feel you. Well, sir, like I said, when I speak to people like you, the episode tend to go longer than normal. So I'm going to have to cut this short. Could you please yeah. tell the people how to reach you, your social media, all that stuff? Oh, man. Thank you, Leander. Well, I, I am on Facebook uh, and Instagram. And I'm not always the most active, but I'm there. And uh, and people can reach me. Um, gosh, I, I, I don't even have the call things in front of me. But if you look up Steve Davis, jazz trombone, you'll, you'll find me. Um, and, um, and of course my website is www.stevedavismusic.com. And, uh, and yeah, you know, give me a holler y'all and, and let's, let's keep getting through this and stay positive and, and keep the vibe up. Likewise. And sir, it's been an honor. Thank you for coming on. It means a lot. Leander, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. And everyone, this is Leander from Improv Exchange. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Have a great day. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange. <laughs>